Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Left Inside, a weekly podcast offering a critical look at news, politics and culture from a left perspective. My name is Jessamy Kelly and I'm back as host for today and I'm also joined again by Paul Murphy. Hello. Dave Murphy. Hello. And we are delighted to welcome onto the show for her first Left Inside appearance, our special guest for the week, uh, Breed Smith, TD with People for Profit. You're very welcome, Breed. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here among all the Morphys. <laughs> exactly, I know. No one's actually questioned us on that before, I wonder. <laughs> we have to change the name of the podcast soon enough because Left Inside is meant to be, uh, it's a reference to the lockdown. So we should do something like, something Murphy related. Murphy and friends. <laughs> Murphy and Murphy and go. <laughs> Just two spuds and mates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so this week we are back discussing um, the news and the big stories of the week. But before we jump into it, um, how's everyone been getting on this week? It's the first week we've been recording that things are kind of getting back to normal, as we keep hearing people say. Um, has anyone ventured out to the pub yet or has there been any sort of normality in your lives or what have you been up to? Liddell is back to normal in a horrible way, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, the, leaving the politics aside for a second, I was in the doll till midnight on Tuesday night. It was just like really extremely back with a bang because there's loads of stuff to get through before the end of July. Um, so busy times, unfortunately. I have nothing as fascinating as that. Just sitting at home, still working from home, stuck in the table in the living room from eight till four every day. You haven't gone for the fifteen euro pint with the because you need the meal or whatever, so it costs <laughs> extra now. No, no, no. Lockdown has changed absolutely nothing for me. I, I was thinking about this when people are talking about it. It didn't actually change that much of my life. Like it's like I'm locked out of life. All the time, you know. Oh Jesus, you're not that bad. It's my choice, though. I I went back swimming. The swimming pool opened in Ballyfermot, and that was great to get back swimming again. It's very much a different place. You you can't have a shower after it, which is horrible. You're left stuck with a lot of chlorine in your on your skin and your hair. But it's great to get into the pool, and they have each the three lanes across a huge pool. So what what you have is uh, you literally do have two to three meters between each swimmer. But it's lovely to stretch out and go back and it's in great demand it's great to see the amount of uptake on it yeah i'd say so um you were also down on the picket lines for the debenhams workers weren't you breed i was and uh, i was raging i missed events this morning because since for a week now we've been on kind of red alert because uh, the vans attempted there's an entrance into the debenhams on, on henry street that actually backs out onto parnell street and it's a deadly entrance for park and you can park up against the, the, the shutters so that nothing else can get in. So we've been taking turns and parking our cars, in my case, a van there. And uh, it's just, you know. So they've been doing like a 24-7 picket for this last week, isn't it? They've been forced to be there the whole time. It's mad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw during the week that um, I think yesterday H&M announced that they're closing a whole number of stores in Ireland as well. And it's exactly the point that we've been making that Debenhams unfortunately is just the start of a jobs massacre in retail and if Debenhams gets away with treating their workers like absolute crap um, then all the other stores will go for something very similar but it is I mean Debenhams struggle is going to be a real reference point even though it's been it's been largely ignored by the media but I think you know for workers in H&M for workers in Next for whatever workers are Next I think like, um, do you remember that travel agency? There was an occupation. It became a reference point. It was Tom. What was it? 
Thomas Cook. Yeah. I think it'll be like that. I think people will be like, Jesus, they fought. And I mean, hopefully that they'll get something at the end of all this fighting and it'll be a positive reference that people need to go the same way and stand up. What exactly is it that they're going to lose out on? Instead of getting four weeks redundancy, they'll only get to two statutory per year, is it? Well, it's a, it depends on what you can uh, leverage out. And two is statutory redundancy. But uh, there that Paul mentions, Thomas Cooks, I bumped into Kieran Shawtall from Ballyfermot, who was the first one to call the occupation. The other day, now that's back in 2009, and Kieran's moved on, he's doing different things, but we were just chatting about it, and he said they actually got, in the end, eight weeks. So they got six on top of two. So it is really possible to leverage more out of them, you know. But today was interesting, I was raised and I missed it. My sister Mary was there, she was doing the 7 to 11 shift, and uh, she was parked outside the shutter talking to another comrade on the Clannavon, and a big truck came along. And two guys got out and they came up and they said, uh, very nice bird, they said, um, can, can, are you, uh, would you mind moving the car so we can get in? She says, no, that's why we're here. We're stopping you getting in. And he said, oh, but why? And she told him that the strike and how they're trying to stop the company taking away the stop. And he said, oh, that's interesting. I was on strike with Tesco when they closed the garages a few years ago. Very good. And uh, we were we were only offered two weeks redundancy and we had a strike for a couple of weeks and we ended up getting five weeks. There you go. So she said, well, there, that's why we're doing this so that they can get a good deal. And he said, yeah, fair enough. And he went off for himself. That's lovely. But they were, the, the, there was four large trucks roaming around Henry Street, Parnell Street all morning and a red alert went out. And within minutes, there was like 40 people down. And again, on Henry Street, they talked the drivers out with them. They turned around and went back. And then the brilliant. The women all they had the words of "You won't get me." I'm sticking with the union, I saw that. and they all burst into song. So there's a very there's a very good atmosphere down there, and, and the local people are very supportive. And was one guy came along one night and parked his bike, got up on his bike, and then like a like a, a, a fox or something, he just clacked, scaled the wall to the adjacent shop, which is Aldi. And all you could hear was rummage, 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 rummage. And then after about 20 minutes, he came over the other side of the wall with his haversack full of food <laughs> and his bicycle basket full of cakes and flowers and uh, ice cream and all sorts of things. And he, I said to him, do you, do you shop here every day? Yeah, he, he obviously <laughs> knew the good spot. Like he knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what a great way to get stuff for free. I mean, it's all stuff that's like best before day today, kind of. So it's still edible, but he was... Often us cakes and nutrient bars and all and flowers and all sorts of things. <laughs> That's close. You know, if anybody's listening and can get down, go down and give them a, a leg up because they can do with as much support as they can get to keep the stock in there and make sure they have some leverage on evidence. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it's like seeing that video of the women on the picket singing and stuff. It really did. You know, it's, these days the news is just so depressing. It was lovely to see kind of, like you're saying, even that story you're telling, that solidarity and stuff, you know, it's really nice to see. I think like getting that message across that if you fight and you win, or if you fight, you can actually win. And there's these material benefits uh, for you, you know, compared to like the idea that, oh, well, you have to wait for a doll to do something and, and all this type of stuff. But that like if workers are going out, like if you're going to be made redundant, the difference between two weeks redundancy and like, six weeks redundancy per year is like massive for you you know mm-hmm, definitely um another thing that's getting back to normal is um Fianna Fáil and government so what they've been in not even two weeks is it and we're already seeing the corruption the scandals coming back again same old Fianna Fáil haven't changed much um you've been given Barry Cowan a hard time this week Paul haven't well, you they've been giving themselves a hard time well I mean, that's geez, it it's uh, any illusion that 
somehow Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and the Greens together was going to represent some form of change, I think, has very, 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 very swiftly been uh, done away with. Um, because the first thing was obviously all the scrambles for the ministerial positions, you know, all these self-entitled, self-important people who think that really they deserve an extra 40 grand a year or 80 grand a year to get a ministerial job. And then the next thing is a scandal involving Barry Cowan, which in and of itself is serious in the sense that, you know, drink driving is a very serious issue because of the fact that people die as a consequence of it. Um, But then more so, I mean, the point we were making this week wasn't about Barry Cowan as a person or whatever, um, but it was about the question of accountability. And was the government going to be using its majority in the doll to make sure that they don't have to answer questions about controversy in the future? And that's what happened this week. Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Labour Party and the Green Party um, all voted to say Barry Cowan could just make a statement, not answer any questions, pretend that he's told the media everything about it when very clearly... He hasn't. There's very, very obvious questions that he has failed to to answer about, like, how long was he in an L place? Did he use an L place? Did he drive in the motorway? Um, did he, when he talks about he regularized his situation, which he keeps saying, did he actually pass a test like everybody else when they get a full driving license? Um, so you just have, a, again, Fianna Fáil absence of accountability and then added into the mix is them stabbing each other in the back with appears or it's certainly alleged that Thomas Byrne is the the man who told the media about it. Yeah, so I saw that screenshot going around Twitter. Is that is that the goss? Is that real or what? And he he was the fellow who you were talking to about it on the Ivan Yates show, wasn't it? It came, it came out last night on Twitter because he was on with me. This guy who apparently knows it was him. I was I have no idea, but he's a Fianna Fáil activist. Was watching Thomas Byrne on thing saying Jesus no we have no idea there wouldn't be a witch hunting to find out who it is no we have no idea who it is I doubt it's anyone in Fianna Fáil and then your man saying it was him it was him Gaz <laughs> it's comical isn't it it is and, but come here, do you know what I think that's very funny is like yeah, uh, like he's pictured like day in day out driving in and out of the doll in his car with no L plates or no M plate on it like yeah. and like he's been doing it for years if you look back at like all the pictures of him like any t- like 2016 election there he is on his way in on his way out it's like he's obviously like, well, he's probably being a bit economical with the truth here, you know. Yeah. Um, and I just think, like, like for the media then, like, to be like, the media must have, like, hundreds and hundreds of photos of him on, like, their uh, their photo roll books or whatever, like, you know, of him driving in now, uh, not a bother on him. Um, yeah, and I just, like, the other thing I think that's mad is, like, he's, like, the brother of, like, Brian Cowan, a former Taoiseach. And this has happened down in his constituency where his family are big political family in the area. And like, you probably don't want to like piss them off by being a cop that, um, you know, brettalise them. You'd imagine what the interaction between him and the cop was like, you know. He's like, I'll bust you back down to traffic duty, you know. (laughs) 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 Your career will be over, like, you know. I think he was on traffic duty by definition, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it is true though, and you'd have to think like if this if this came out about you know someone else or another, like even I think you know if it was you Paul or something, the, the media would be all over it, like you know da- most dangerous man in Ireland type thing. You know it's like kind of spin stuff sometimes. You know? Well, that's the thing. I mean, like it supposedly did come out about Claire Daly, mm-hmm. where she she was arrested for drink driving. She was handcuffed by the guards. That was in the news that night, and then 
to be clear, it turned out that she wasn't drink driving at all. She wasn't above the limit. But in that case, the, the guards leaked it immediately to try and damage Claire Daly because she was exposing Garda corruption. Whereas in this case, it didn't get exposed for four years because some Fianna Fáilor was hurt that they didn't get a mysterious position and were trying to damage Cowan. That's the thing, and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been exposed if you know who knows. It just how many of these things haven't been exposed are just sliding under the rug, you know. But the, the whole thing of him, like if it is Thomas Bourne, it's all his hoard feelings over not getting becoming a minister, you know. And I think if you look at like how many of them have come out now, like uh, Willie O'Dea's been out, like all these people who, you know, well. There's 25% unemployment in the country. They're going on thinking like that people in their area are going to be like up in arms because such and such didn't get an extra 80 grand pay rise to become a minister. I think that just shows how it touched the air big time. I mean, could you imagine if the shoe was on the other foot and those of us on the left behaved like that um, how much of the baiting we'd get over the head, both from the right and from the media for it. I'm not saying they're not getting anything in the media, but... Um, they're, they're being well cocooned from, um, and I think, Paul, you were the only one to raise it in the doll. But um, interestingly, I got a letter last night, late last night, from the Kiln to tell me that Charlie Flanagan's complaint about me speaking about a judgment and a judge in the doll is proceeding and that the procedures committee today would address it, but I can't attend. I'm a member of that committee, but I can't attend. So I asked if um, I could have a, a replacement or a substitute, and Paul Murphy was going to go in for me, um, but they, they wouldn't have that. That's not allowed under their standing orders. But anyway, if, if, according to what I heard, they decided that the complaint that Charlie Flanagan issued against me because I raised the question of what's probably well known among building workers now or among uh, trade unionists, is that the High Court quashed what's known as a sectoral employment order. And these are basically uh, mechanisms uh, signed into law that keep a floor so that you don't get into a race to the bottom in particular industries. In this case, it was in electrical engineering and uh, engineering and mechanical sectoral employment order. We call it SEO for short. So he said that was unconstitutional. But the grounds on which he made it unconstitutional are quite interesting. And the... the um, the one that jumped out at me was the fact that he 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 declared the rates uh, being quite um, attractive. He said they may be attractive to a worker, but they may be unattractive to an employer uh, and unconstitutional to the, the idea of competition, uh, which is quite a remark to make. It's quite a neoliberal expression of what the constitution stands for mm -hmm. and that is what we were well i was challenging and we've all been challenging is that the idea that a high court judge on a high salary could say that the salary of possibly forty-five thousand, when i did the maths on it at the highest rate of pay of an electrical um, seo rate uh working an average of 37 hours a week you'd probably come out with about 45 grand a year so that's a lucrative wage compared to his i mean it's really a beggar's belief and, you know, I've made the point publicly, but had that judgment been made by somebody with an understanding and a background of what it is to live on 45 grand a week, what it is to be a family trying to pay a mortgage and rear, rear kids and send them to college and that kind of money, that judgment would never have been made because there'd be realism to it. And I just think that the class nature of the judiciary is... Um, mm -hmm you know it stands above all of this and they you know obviously 
and Paul would know having studied law, there's a lot of studying to be done and they're well-educated people, but they generally come from the privilege of being well-educated. But then again, they don't, they're not God Almighty and they don't, uh, they shouldn't stand in judgment on um, things that are fundamentally important to material conditions of, of working families. So we'll see what happens. This will take months to be processed, but we'll fight it anyway. And what's the possible penalties for you, Braid, if, they, if, if the committee finds against you or whatever? Well, one, one deputy said to me today they could suspend you for a week or something from the dial, and uh, I went, oh, shit, oh, no. But, I mean, the actual thing that he's complaining about, if, if you read the words of it, I don't even think by the, you know, we, we don't think the rules of the doll are the fairest rules in the world, world. but I, I don't even think by the standards of the rules of the doll that, that they can do anything. Because, I mean, all, all you said... You said you start by saying it is highly ironic. This is all quoting, by the way, uh, from the Dahl record, so it's protected under privilege. <laughs> that it's highly ironic that we are sitting here this morning to renew major powers for the state on a day when tens of thousands of workers will wake up to the realisation that a learned, ju- learned judge of the High Court who earns more than €220,000 per year has decided in his wisdom that an electrician who may earn 45000 per year is possibly overpaid and has struck down a sexual employment order. This is a war on workers. The decision must be appealed by the state and those pay rates must be defended. So somehow... Breedsmith stating those things, you know, I presume that's a fact in terms of salary. It's a fact in terms of the judgment. Um, it's a fact that as socialists, we obviously believe that the decision should be high court, should be a- appealed, uh, and the, the pay rates must be defended. The idea, like, you know, they hide behind this really mystical kind of notion of the separation of powers. And that if you say anything about the courts inside the doll, like the whole constitutional edifice of bourgeois democracy in Ireland is going to collapse. But like... I really don't see it. Like I don't see the grounds that they're complained. This is coming from the former minister for justice. I mean, half the time people just complain to get the kind of good media headlines for them complaining and try to get bad media headlines for Breed and the left. Yeah, and interestingly, on on a news talk uh, chat with the vice chair of the bar council, no less, he actually said, you know, Breed has a right to uh, complain about judges and judgments. Um, she has a right to ob- object to what goes on in the courts, um, as has every citizen. She probably has more duty to do so because she's elected representative. Then he went on to say that he saw it as a personal attack and that was the problem. But he had no problem with me saying it in the Eruptus. Okay. It's the Eruptus has a problem with me saying it in the Eruptus. And I think they're just trying to set standards for us mm-hmm. to uh, shut us up. And they're, you know, it's self-imposed nonsense, really. Well, they, they might have a, a problem of their own with the courts next week when the Apple tax judgment comes out. Um, but what what day is that? Is is that Apple tax judgment coming out? Next Thursday, ne- or next Wednesday? Sorry, fifteenth. Okay. Um, but I think like on the like the main sort of like um thing on this is like how the laws and the constitution are used to undermine uh workers' wages. Like part of the argument is is that this. Like having these SEOs like infringes on the rights of the employer under the constitution and the rights of the worker, right? So that's in theory, it infringes on both their rights to enter into an agreement, like a contract that they're going to work and to bargain for what rate of pay. And in that like type of situation, the worker obviously has much less rights than the, the boss does. Like, you know, the boss can like use this to create a race to the bottom, to push wages down. Um, and the idea that this is like, like an equal equation between a worker and a boss um, and it has to be protected when like it's going to just like it's it's the way the law works is to work in the interest of the of the powerful 
and like the powerful one in this relationship is the boss and the weaker one is the worker and they're trying to say it's defending the rights of both it's a you know it's just it exposes the nature of it yeah the thing the thing i found like the most striking about it was like i think it was uh headline of the article that you said in PBP is, you know, a stroke of a pen, workers' rights are just like damaged like that. And it's like, we have no control over it. The workers themselves who do the job, they just, it's like out of their hands totally. It's almost just like this far away thing. They can't, even, you know, they have no say in what's going on. That's just like, that's what kind of hits you about it really. And you kind of see exactly where the lines are drawn in society, you know. And the government still hasn't given a commitment to appeal it to the Supreme Court. Isn't that right? No, and they have to they have to appeal by Tuesday, Tuesday because it's 21 days from the judgment, and that's up on Tuesday. Um, they haven't given a commitment, and so workers, building workers, are protesting tomorrow. Now it's a rank and file group, but some of the unions are backing it. I think Opatsy and Unite are backing it, so they're having that uh, protest at lunchtime outside the Construction Industry Federation to highlight the issue and to demand that they appeal it. So. Um, yeah, so I think a few of us should will get down to that and uh, act on it. Definitely. And then I suppose the only other thing to say about it is that, um, you know, if they don't appeal it, or even if they do, I just wonder how robust that appeal would be. I mean, will they really throw their best at it, or will they go in with something, you know, that's not going to be good enough, but won't stand up to scrutiny? It just would be concerned that they, well, first of all, that they appeal it, but then also robustly rather than just sort of half-heartedly. And they should, even if they are going to appeal it, they also should have legislation in the background ready to go in case they lose the appeal. Because, like, the legal basis of it, or one of the legal bases, is the idea that, oh, only the doll can set laws. So only the doll can set laws like this. So a, a law has given a minister the power to create an SEO, and they've created a number of SEOs. But now this high court judge is saying, well, only you can't give the you can't delegate powers like that to a minister. The doll has to do it itself. But an immediate answer is, okay, well then the doll will just do it itself, and the doll can yeah, pass yeah, laws to yeah, to, to yeah, regularize yeah. this. Because the same thing kind of basically happened around. Was the joint labor committees happened in the past? In, in twenty fifteen, they did something similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, or it was the registered employment agreement and then replaced by JLCs or... But yeah, so we see where it goes, but it's, it's quite serious. And uh, I just, Paul, just a question for you, um, just on an entirely different topic. What do you think or what's the significance of Pascal winning that vote in, in Brussels tonight? Yeah, that's true. It's what a, vote was that? For those listening late, at a later date, this, this is the, the Eurogroup. Um, there was a, an election and Pascal Donoghue was one of three candidates, I think. And... Um, for it to be the basically the chair, the president, I think is what it's called, of the Eurogroup. And people might remember it was a guy called Dieselbloom, Jeroen Dieselbloom, who was a very right wing Dutch guy who was I think maybe was chair of the Eurogroup. So the Eurogroup it's a group of the finance ministers in the Eurozone. And he during the, the whole Greek crisis and the last crisis, he was like real austerity hawk. Um and then Pascal Donoghue, he, he won it today and the media is pitching it as like, oh, it's a victory for Ireland. But it's it's a victory for the most right-wing political force uh, of those who competed for it. So as far as I know, the, like the three like so-called European political families, right? So they're all right-wing Don't and no illusion in that. But the Social Democrats, the Liberals and the EPP all had candidates for it. Pascal Donoghue has won it. And... You know, the media thinks, oh, this means Ireland's going to get, like, free money easily or whatever. But it's not. It means that, like, a very neoliberal right-wing direction in terms of, 
Eurogroup policies in terms of like, you know, there's talking about all this money from Europe now to be given to states to get them out of the coronavirus. But what is clearly contained in the small print is just like in the aftermath of the last crisis, this whole thing of conditionality, whereby they will say to states, you're only getting this money as long as you have like labor activation measures, as long as you privatize parts of your economy, etc. And I would say Pascal Donahue will be driving that kind of agenda to kind of push neoliberal counter reform in countries in in exchange for any of this, either grants or loans. Mm. Is there any significance in the fact that, well, Orti, you were saying because he, he represents the northern fiscal idea, you know, that the better off uh, European Union member countries and the woman who lost, he lost out to him was, was the other, she was the president, I think, but she's from Spain. I mean, maybe she's a social democrat, I don't know, but she, um, they were making out that this would be the northern sort of fiscal uh, strength uh, coming down on the southern fiscal, not so strong. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Or if that's... Yeah, I, I think I think it is that like, I mean, remember there was this letter from, which Ireland actually signed strangely, just was a bit out of character with the government, but there's a letter from the southern states calling for like corona bonds and calling for more aid from the European Union and things like that. And countries like the Netherlands, Germany, Sweden took a real hard line against that. And basically I'd, I'd see this as a, as a victory for those countries for the harder line against giving assistance um so i mean it'll be interesting um and you'll have a certain prominence across europe because of it i mean the, the, it is like a relatively prominent role um it's not like he'll, he'll still be i saw some people asking on twitter does this mean he won't be finance minister or anything like you have to be finance minister to do it so he'll still be finance minister but he'll be doing this as well he'll be imposing austerity in ireland and across europe he'll love it fair play to pascal <laughs> The, yeah, the, the continuing of that process, but like points towards a major eurozone crisis re-emerging quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you already had the split between, you know, like I think in Italy, like an ex-prime minister, the prime minister said that signing up to Corona bonds that has austerity attached to it, it'd be like signing your own debt warrant. Um, so like the eurozone in Italy and Spain and Greece, if they go for another round of austerity or surveillance that's what i saw the dutch prime minister calling for that like if you get some money out of this we have to watch our budgets again um it's just going to cause a revolt in those countries like and it'd be a major like economic and political crisis across the eu re-emerging when they thought they'd just got over the last one pascal will be right in the middle of a fair play to him will he get paid two wages yeah, I was just gonna say, I was thinking that there. Good question. I'll find out. I guess he will. <laughs> Google it. Hang on a second. Do <laughs> a tweet on him, Paul, if you do. We'll cut out the Google it and we just have it as you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll let you know if I find if I, if I find out. <laughs> um, coming back to the doll this week, and you're saying it's so busy and everything. You were discussing housing for this week, wasn't it? The is it the full week. You're, it's been dedicated to housing, or what's the story? Would it been? No, there was private. There was two private members' bills relating to housing. One from Sinn Fein and one from the Labour Party. And basically, I mean, I think it was clear already, like it was from the program for government. But just the government's response is just keep doing what they did before, but pretending that it's in some way different. And um, the only kind of new thing that. Darrow O'Brien said today, he's like, oh, I hope we can extend the ban on evictions. I'll talk to the Minister for Health about that. Um, you know, as opposed to like, he's part of the government, just extend the ban and keep the ban, make it permanent. Um, because actually, like, 
homelessness dropped. The The numbers of people going into homelessness dropped by 500 um, the last month compared to the month before. And, and basically that's because the ban on evictions is beginning to have an impact, which is why we've always called for a ban on evictions. Like, it's obvious that the kind of things that you need to do, those measures, proper rent controls, and build a load of homes, um, they should be passive standard. Um, but obviously there are things that the government refuses to do. Yeah, it's going to be a big fight to keep them in though you know like you're saying they kind of say oh yeah we hopefully would like to do that there's just always something that gets me about the housing crisis like such an obscure solution to it you know and they're just like hmm i wonder what we can do to solve this you know and like you say they're the government <laughs> they are the ones that can solve it um but i think yeah it's just it's getting it's getting out of hand really and i think obviously covid was a bit of a distraction from the housing crisis but you know, not from like it itself, but like people maybe weren't as active um, doing kind of housing activism and stuff like that. But I think that's going to come back big time now. Well, I think we saw it today or yesterday by the, is it Katu, the Community and Tenants Union? They went out, there was um, like despite the ban on evictions, there was a tenant in Galloping Green in Dublin who um, like the landlord was coming around to evict them like uh, despite the, the ban. And, like, there was a mobilisation of people who stopped the eviction going ahead. Like, I think the landlord didn't turn up in the end or, or or whatever. But it showed, like, again, like, that the housing issue was there and it's being organised on locally. But then also as well, I think in the Irish Times today or yesterday then, there was, like, one of those horrific stories that we've, like, over the last few years we've seen that have sort of dropped off the front pages for the last while um, of a mother with, I think, three or four kids being forced to live in a car because of the housing crisis and that's again despite the idea that the government say that no one's going to be homeless during coronavirus but they're obviously uh, still are so although like there are gains there are serious gains being made by the ban it's in between the gaps of it there's still like landlords trying to evict people and still uh, people becoming uh, homeless and it's great to see something like the tenants union like that and it's like growing in numbers big time i've seen them uh following them on instagram you know they seem to be getting a good like that eviction today, they were just able to get call on a few good few people, members of the union who were able to show up. You know, it's good to see. Um, another big story of the week um, has been the controversy and talk around Roderick O'Gorman. And um, yeah, a lot of I've seen a lot of people take this up. People that I I know who weren't exactly like political or anything like that, but um, like take it up as in believe the stuff that some other woman Jesus yeah um, yeah quite a lot um, I've been seeing a good bit on Instagram and stuff like that um, so yeah the whole story is Roger Gorman the green TD who's in the government now um, the far right I think it was the national party who started it but it was on different Facebook groups and Twitter and different things or whatever um, basically there was a picture of Roger O'Gorman at a Pride um, event a few years ago, I think, with your man, what's his name? Um, Peter Taschel. Yeah. And he obviously has made dodgy comments in the past. And, you know, there's I, I think there's still questions around that. But basically, uh, the far right took it as Roger O'Gorman is a paedophile defender, activist even, I think I heard some people calling him. Um, and because he got this picture with your man Tatchell, this means that he, in fact, also is in this paedophile ring that the government is, the Green Party is propping up. Or, and they, it got quite big. And then, like, I saw, yeah, like I said, I saw a lot of people talking about it. 
And uh, Roger Gorman has said, you know, it was, he just got a picture with him because he thought he was like, he didn't know anything about his comments about paedophilia and stuff like that. And this is all just totally being like uh, whipped up as a kind of homophobic attack is what he is saying. And so what do people think about how it's been so kind of widespreadly talked about this week. I mean, I think one of the things they're latching onto is the fact that Roderick O'Gorman is the Minister for Children. So they're using this yeah. very emotive language about save our children, protect our children. And so if you're seeing people, Jesse, that you know that you're surprised at, it, it's kind of understandable mm-hmm. that people's good emotions about children is, you know, to, to think, oh, Jesus, yeah, we can't have that. But you just scratch beneath the surface and you can see this is a clearly homophobic attack. Uh, Roderick O'Gorman's a gay man, he is the Minister for Children, but that's really grasping at straws to connect him with Peter, Peter Tatchell and therefore with paedophilia. That's just, it's just doesn't, has no basis to it whatsoever, but it's clearly quite homophobic. And I, I hope that as many good people that you know that are um, sort of incensed about the, the nonsense they're reading will be equally incensed when they understand that this is a clearly anti-gay attack. And, a campaign, uh, yeah. Yeah coming from the right it's it's uh it's quite horrible it's quite you know nasty nasty stuff mm-hmm. it really is and i saw some people people were like no this isn't about homophobia you know but the idea like it's not an accident peter tatchell has been pictured but with a lot of people you know the, the fact that it's a gay man who again has to defend the views of someone who isn't him and you know with a you know strong allegation that he is in some way soft on paedophilia like it would not be happening to a straight man it just wouldn't um something else that i that i saw and i actually like dug into a little to see like what on earth is this about they've they've also added like other elements to the story so they have a tweet from roger gorman who i think is some form of geographer or something by training and he had a tweet uh with a picture of a map and the words map porn you know that he really liked this map as like this is like a few years ago or whatever that he thought this is a great map. Grand. I mean, I'm personally not into maps. I probably wouldn't tweet map porn, but like whatever he's into, that's grand. <laughs> but this became a thing where they, they tried to say that map and apparently like within some circles, like MAP stands for minor attracted person. And they're trying to say that like, oh, he's into like pedophile Stop. porn when he clearly had a picture of a map. And he didn't, it wasn't like M, capital M, A, capital A, capital P. It was map, map porn. But like, they just like put two and two together and try and lead people to believe that it makes like 7 million or whatever. And somehow Roderick Gorman is a, is a pedophile. It's wild, isn't it? And I think like, how do you weaponize that, you know? Because like in society, like this idea that Breed was saying, nobody wants to see children being abused. Like in Ireland, like with the role of the church, like there's a history of like children being abused. Um, but like the far right are weaponizing it with this idea. Like if you think about it, like the idea that like all these elites are like you, you see, like it's they're basically important from the US. Like you know, like for all the idea that they're nationalists, they take all their talking points from the US. Uh, all these elites and like paedophile rings, and if you look at like like the Epstein thing, you know what I mean? Like that case, the idea that there's uh, elites involved in uh, paedophilia, they're sort of like taking all that, mixing it all together creating a conspiracy theory and then throwing it at like Roderick O'Gorman um, without asking any questions or providing any information. But the irony as well is w- one of the people, I think the main people pushing it initially was this guy Herman Kelly, who's gone been through a few parties, but I think it's Irish Freedom Party now. But he's a former editor of the Irish Catholic. 
you know, a newspaper which was not exposing actual paedophilia, actual child abuse taking place within uh, the Catholic Church, but was like a right wing mouthpiece for like the right wing sections of the of the Catholic Church. He wrote a book as well, like uh, attacking um, survivors or trying to undermine their stories. Like the guy's a scumbag. Like yeah, he's a do- like he's a scumbag. Really that's that's important to quote him. Quote him from that. The idea that he's going around now, um, and like I, I think like I, I read a report today about um how Facebook groups are being weaponized by the far right. Like so, we would have seen some previously around um. Do you remember the direct provision centers that were supposed to go in in um. Uh, Balahadrine was it? Balahadrine and uh, Uterard, Uterard um, yeah. and how they, they'd set up like local Facebook groups and then over a period of time transformed them. So like the example given today by a report by someone who studies hate speech and you know like far right groups is that like over the last six months or si- since January a load of like Facebook groups emerged that people in the local community would join you know like COVID news and updates this type of thing where people were getting their COVID news and all of a sudden now they've transformed into like these free speech pages or um, yellow vest stuff yeah, and, yeah, f- yeah 5G pages you know so like they're after capturing an audience on one issue uh, they fed them like a, lo- a lot like news or stories and people like you know like a lot of time people start to like trust this page oh it gave me good news on COVID and then all of a sudden then it becomes like this uh this news like spreading the or this page spreading conspiracy theories yeah that was like the thing it was like anti-jerk provision and everyone was liking it being like oh great you know i'm anti-jerk provision but it was like anti anti-immigrants <laughs> and direct provision sort of thing you know ah. um but yeah like it is it it's definitely something i think the left needs to keep an eye on um like like just to have a facebook group or you know just i think the video the national party put up i don't know if any of you saw it it was your man who's in Dublin Southwest, Paul. What's his name? Um, oh, I remember him, the candidate, Philip Dwyer. Yeah, Philip Dwyer. Yeah, um, it was him and another fella, and um, it was almost laughable if it wasn't like so serious, you know. But they were standing outside the doll, and they were trying. They first of all, they went to the Green Party headquarters in Dublin to see if they could like confront Roger Gorman or something like that. I don't know what exactly they like planned to do. Um, but then obviously they couldn't get in so they went to the doll and they were standing outside and then um, there was a reporter walking around I think trying to catch them and coming oh, out. Oh I saw this. Yeah and they were literally just like oh well you know it, if you did your job you'd, you'd know a lot more and they were kind of like trying to be like I don't know what exactly like they had any goal at all and the fa- reporter was kind of just like this is really bizarre, like kind of moving away from them. You know? But didn't the reporter also, wasn't it a T.G. Carroll reporter? This is the one I saw. There was a T.G. Carroll reporter and they were like, you have to cover us. You have to cover our story. You have to cover. And she was like, and then and then she, I think she realised who she was and she was like, oh yeah, okay, I'll interview an Irish, yeah. And, uh, and they're like, oh no, <laughs> we don't speak Irish. You'll have to translate for us. And they're like these great, like, quote unquote, patriots, like, you know. That's gross, isn't it? I often find that all these patriots actually only know, like, Aaron Nabian. That's kind of <laughs> the, the extent of their Irish, you know. Um, but yeah, like, it is, it's, it is definitely something to watch. And like you were saying, Paul, this week there was a story came out, I think it was the Irish Times, of, um, you know, the people involved in the tomb, mother and baby homes. Uh, it's looking like they won't see justice in their lifetime and stuff like that, you know. And you don't see them, you don't see the far right um, banging on about that at all. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's something 
it's something to keep an eye on as well but well, I, th- I think like it's more like than keep an eye on because mm-hmm. if you, there was a report in the in britain or in england yesterday or last week about like the amount of like you know like very common terrorist attacks being carried out uh, the majority of them are now being carried out by far right terror like far right groups um rather than you know what i mean like when, when you have you, you're sort of conditioned by the media when you hear a terrorist attack to think like isis or al-qaeda or whatever but that the majority of terrorist attacks in europe are now are in duke in britain are being carried out by like far right extremist groups so like the idea that you could see somebody be seriously attacked somebody you know like being killed or being seriously hurt like we've already seen um the Sinn Féin TD's car getting firebombed we've seen the direct provision the hotel that was assigned to be a direct provision center be petrol bombed like like there is an escalation here and I think like there is like an onus like well how do we fight back like you know there's people in some counties where there's been mobilizations against them against them but like I think like it now has to be a question like well like it's on the agenda for the left and for trade unions and working class people to seriously mobilise and push them off the streets. Definitely, because it's that, it's that pitting, you know, um, ordering people against each other, isn't it? It's the, you know, people in rural areas, especially, you know, have been hard done by loads in the last, like, however long time or whatever. Um, and instead of saying, oh, why isn't there houses? For all of us, it's a lot easier to point to the direct provision centre down the road and say, well, that's why you don't have a house. And then the direction of their anger is not focused on the people in charge. It's focused on the immigrants or whoever it is at the time who is, like, you know, suitable for the uh, people in charge to use. So, mm-hmm. all right, well, I think we're... Oh, I checked, by the way, just just for the record, so Pascal Dunahu doesn't sue us. Pascal, we're sorry. He's not getting any extra money. He's just doing it. Aww. He's doing it for the power and the love of austerity. He's doing it for the love of austerity. Are you doing it out of the goodness of his heart? Will you leave him alone? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're going to have to leave it there for this week, unfortunately. But um, big thanks again to you, Breed, for coming on. And it was great to have you. I enjoyed it hugely, Jesse. Thanks thanks very much, comrades, for having me on. I, I enjoyed it. Great uh, Great format, the way of doing things. Thank you. You'll have to come on again. And if they, if they, if they remove you from the doll breed, uh, we'll let you come back on next week while you're suspended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're at a loose end. You can do it full time. As long as you give me an average industrial wage for the week, I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, we're, we're unleashing our Patreon now shortly to pay for your wages. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I'll, actually, on that note, I was going to say thanks to everyone for listening, but also please do subscribe to us um, if you're listening on one of the podcast apps because we need more subscribers. We need more reviews. If you like the um, podcast, please do leave us a review as well. We have eight reviewers currently on Apple um, Podcasts. So shout out to our OG Left Inside fans. I was thinking if you tell your friend about the podcast now and then when we get really big and we have a million subscribers you'll look really cool um so (laughs) that's incentive to can't buy that kind of street cred exactly tell all your friends about it and um yeah thanks everyone again for listening and we'll see you next week Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. bye bye